Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. This is the podcast where experts come to discuss the problems oncologists, reference labs, and payers face as precision medicine grows and consider solutions for advancing the quality of patient-centered cancer care. Be sure to subscribe at precisionmedicinepodcast.com to get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox. We're with Celine Kernaz here, and you were just a speaker on a panel that talked about precision medicine in clinical trials and novel trial designs. Right. And okay, you threw a lot of terms out there. So we had basket trials, umbrella trials, seamless trials, adoptive trial designs, just-in-time trials. Right. How much of a change is this from the traditional randomized prospective trials and, and kind of what's the purpose of shifting to these types of trials? Yeah, so, so that's a very good question. So the, the, the idea is that historically, you know, you open a, a site for a specific clinical trial and then you expect the patients are going to show up and then they get enrolled into this clinical trial. So the idea of the just-in-time site is that is to almost open up a quasi-site and then when that perfect patient that has been identified in that specific site so that you activate that site. Okay. So uh, this is a way in order to be able to bring the clinical trials to the patients as opposed to bring the patients to the clinical trials. Mm -hmm. uh, because the reason why we are actually spending so much time and effort on that aspect is that last month there's about 1,100 cancer patients that come to our patient contact center. 55% of those patients, we were in a position to be able to identify the clinical trials that are feasible from a clinical feasibility standpoint. However, when you look at the enrollment rate, the enrollment rate drops about 12.5%. The reason why you lose about that 75% productivity is two issues. One of them, it's the lack of ability for them to be able to find a site that is close to where their current provider is because it's almost like a deal breaker you know the moment that you ask the patient to get into a different site in the end those are not healthy patients those yes. are cancer patients yeah. they have to change their entire i would say life they have to change their environment in order to be able to be a part of that journey so it's very difficult for them the second issue that we're also i would say struggling is the insurance issue you know sure. if you are looking for like a medicaid patient that patient cannot travel from state to state, and they have to cover all these out-of-pocket costs that's not being covered, and that's a very huge burden, a financial burden for cancer patients in order for them to be able to get enrolled to these clinical trials. So what we are trying to show is that there has to be more policy, there has to be more innovative approaches in order to, after the clinical feasibility has been fulfilled, how to really place that patient to a clinical trial that is not going to change their life drastically so that they can, I would say, live their life basically understanding that there's all these other things that they have to work with the care that, that the cancer that they're going through. I understand. Greater accessibility right. can increase those numbers. You sure. talked about the recent changes that the FDA policy that affects research and clinical trial matching. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that has benefited so in terms of the, I would say, uh, I can uh, talk about more like the, the Biden Cancer Initiative, some mm -hmm. of the policies uh, that has been done, because uh, just uh, last week at ASCO, American Society of Clinical Oncology Conference, annual conference in 2019, there was a, a initiative that has been launched. And the, the aspect of that initiative is oncology 
uh, clinical trial information comments. And the reason why there's a, a healthy number of healthcare innovators that came into that, that initiative is that, so there is the aspect of the medical records, the next generation sequencing results to structure that information, but there is also an aspect of the clinical trials that gov. Mm. You know, if you are a person in the world of clinical trials, there is no way to detach yourself from the clinical trials that gov. And the issue with the clinical trials that gov right now is that that information is not structured mm. in order to be able to match or pre-screen the patients for clinical trials. That information was for the, the pharmaceutical companies to post their clinical trials to the public. That was never meant to have a very specific use case. So because of that reason, those institutions came together in order to be able to structure that information so that it will be more accessible by the patients mm -hmm. and by the healthcare providers to be able to slip through that clinical trials that go because right now there's about 11,000 clinical trials at clinical trials that go just for oncology. Yeah. It's like overwhelming amount. Yeah. And then the other thing that we are trying to do is that for future clinical trials, how we are going to be able to develop the framework so that the pharmaceutical sponsor will follow that framework they input that information, that framework, it's also get populated to the clinical trials.gov so that we can standardize, we can structure and scale that access of the patients to the clinical trials.gov and all the peripheral information that's associated with that. It's in that in some part reflects the work that you guys do at Massive Bio. Correct. So I may have mentioned you CEO of Massive Bio. Tell us a little bit more about the work you do, and you mentioned structuring unstructured data. What is the, the work that you guys do with that? And then what is your goals? Sure, sure. So Massive Bio, in big picture, we are a marketplace mm -hmm. that connects the cancer patients as well as their treating oncologists with cutting-edge clinical trials as well as advanced care plans. You know, mm -hmm. if you're a cancer patient that is in a more like a remoter location that you may not have access to a glorified large academic medical cancer center, as we all know that cancer does not discriminate. You know, you can go into an any socioeconomic condition, but you still get cancer. So we are trying to enable that all these fascinating cutting-edge science that's happening in the oncology to the patient's uh, point of care, wherever that they're located and wherever their insurance situation is. And there are three uh, core competencies that we are bringing to the table. One of them is like patient acquisition channels. Mm -hmm. The other one is exactly how you are saying how we're in a position to be able to structure that unstructured information. And there are three different types of that. There is the medical records, there is the biomarker-based testing and GS testing results, and there is also the clinical trials because you need to have a pitcher and a catcher relationship in the clinical trial pre-screening because it doesn't just matter that you structure the medical information, you also need to structure the clinical trials that got information or any kind of the clinical trial protocol information in order to be able to have that pre-screening. And the last thing that we also put a very, very strong emphasis is on the operationalization support, mm -hmm. which is the last mile. You know, how are we going to be able to enable a patient to be able to have a site that is close to their environment? How can we have a just-in-time site? How are we going to be able to develop an escalation process to a pharma so that they can cover the out-of-pocket costs that the patient cannot be able to do that? Very important. 
those are the I would say things that are I think hugely overlooked in our industry. You know, we get so much excited if there's a new molecule. Yeah. We get so much excited when we see data and technology because those are the sexy and the funny things. However, we also need to get excited about the hard work, which is that resolving the issues in the last mile, opening up the enrollment channel uh, to these cancer patients because in the end, that's what it matters. So the conversation at ASCO was stemming from how do we make these desperate pieces of information Correct. more dynamic? How do we pull them together? And that's the conversation that you just had here at the Precision Medicine Leadership Summit of how to leverage that data, omics, artificial intelligence, and policy. Is it a large ask? Is it how far in the foreseeable future do you see those things coming together and making us better at what we do? Yeah, I always say we cannot finish if you don't start. Yeah. You know, that we understand that there is a monumental problem that is in front of us. And the good news is that I think this is not an uncontrollable problem. Mm. This is a controllable problem. But we have to admit and understand is that majority of the problem, it's an operational problem and a policy problem. Because we do not have a centralized healthcare system in the United States. And since there are all these like private enterprises that are doing whatever that they feel that's the right thing to do, you are not going to completely stop these, I would say, proliferation in the data in somebody else's backyard. Okay. But there are ways in order to be able to make this data more accessible, more streamlined, more use case oriented, so that we need to, I would say, disposition the investment and we need to disposition the, I would say, these policies in such a way that that can enable that to us. I am optimistic. You know, I am, of course, optimistic, but I am also, I would say, trying to educate the industry that we know that there is a problem, but we have to make sure that we are solving the right problem. And then we are also making sure that these are all use case oriented, as well as it creates this very tangible outcome to the cancer patients so that we are not solving these problems in order to solve a mathematical problem or in order to make ourselves rich or in order to make ourselves famous, mm -hmm. so that it gets directly to the bottom line of the patient what they need to do from a clinical trial standpoint or uh, in terms of the I would say, advanced care uh, plan standpoint. Yeah. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but we need to start with small victories. Yes. We have to show, the, the I would say, the, both the clinical case as well as business case, and we need to marry that with the right policy and the governance structure so that it can be scaled, uh, and then it can basically get access to the every cancer patient, because there is 1.7 million cancer patients that's been diagnosed with cancer last year in the United States. Well, it seems obvious with what you're talking about with the work that you guys do at Massive Bio, collaboration is the key. Right. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you very much for having me. You bet. You've been listening to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. Trapello is the first clinical decision support tool to align the interests of oncologists, labs, and payers to give patients the best chance at beating cancer. To learn more, visit gettrapello.com. To subscribe to the podcast or download transcripts of any episode, visit precisionmedicinepodcast.com. We invite you to join the conversation on social media. You can find us on Twitter, at PMP by Trapello or on LinkedIn at the Intervention Insights company page. If you know someone who would enjoy the Precision Medicine podcast, please share it. They'll thank you, and so will we. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode.